This episode shifts time and place to Visalia, March 1974. If you go to the 1226.75.com website, you will find a new map link on episode 8. This is the interactive VR map that covers the next three episodes. We'll let the details of the ransacking speak for themselves, but we do want to explain why we're covering every single ransacking attack. We understand this may be exhausting for the listeners, but we have a few reasons. We want to address several things in the next three episodes. The first is the mistaken belief that is circulated around these cases that the ransacker was more than one person. Some believe it was two people working together, and others think the Visalia Police Department, VPD, mistakenly lumped together unrelated break-ins, committed by multiple offenders. The cases we cover here were all committed by the same single offender. Another myth surrounding these burglaries is that they were nothing more than the actions of a harmless trinket thief. Nothing could be further from the truth. This was a dangerous, sexually motivated killer, and the ransackings were sadistic, personal assaults on the residents. The cases all had a very specific M.O., and involved peeping and stalking potential victims. The first recorded ransacking was on March 19, 1974, a Tuesday. $50 worth of coins were stolen from a piggy bank on West Walnut. There are two ransackings reported Saturday, April 6, 1974, The first on Linda Vista, ransacked rooms, dumped clothing, left point of escape open, took a piggy bank, attempted to pry door unsuccessfully. Residents were out of town. The second on Whitney, left item inside front door and back door as warning items. Ransacked all rooms, took a piggy bank. Residents were also out of town. Saturday, May 4th, 1974, South Dolner. Ransacked the bedrooms, scattered clothing, left a point of escape, took money. Sunday, May 5th, 1974, West Feimster, ransacked bedrooms and ransacked the jewelry boxes, scattered clothing, left point of escape, the window screen was left on a bed, took money and a piggy bank. Two ransackings, Saturday, May 11, 1974. First on Whitney, ransacked all bedrooms, took money, threw women's underclothing, left open a point of escape, screen left in bedroom. The second on West Tulare, took a 380 auto pistol and money, ransacked rooms, left item inside front door and back door as warning, threw clothing, left screen in bedroom, left open a point of escape, took a piggy bank. There were two break-ins on Friday, May 17, 1974. One on Emerald. He took money and one ring. He ransacked the bedrooms, threw female underclothing around the room, left multiple points of escape. He left the window screen on a bed. The residents had two daughters, both who went to Mount Whitney, both cheerleaders. The second was on Dartmouth. He took money, he took a piggy bank, ransacked bedrooms, Scattered clothing, also stole blue chip stamps. On Saturday, May 1874, there are a total of four. First on Cambridge, resident reported no items stolen. However, all rooms were ransacked. Point of escape was left open. On West Feimster, 
the ransacker took several piggy banks, pantyhose, and cologne. He left a bottle of perfume on the doorknob as a warning item, ransacked rooms through female underclothing, left open a point of escape. He attempted to pry a sliding glass door unsuccessfully. Residents attend First Baptist Church and have a daughter who was in band at Mount Whitney. We have fewer details on the next one on West Feimster that night. All we know is that there was a break-in, $52 in cash, and some small items were stolen. The last that evening was on West Howard. There were no items stolen, but all rooms were ransacked, and the jewelry boxes were turned upside down. He threw women's underclothing, but no men's, and he left a point of escape. On Saturday, May 25th, 1974, there were a total of three ransackings. The first on Sioux Lane. Took money, ransacked old rooms. He pried open the sliding glass door from the inside, leaving it open as a point of escape. Through female underclothing. The next, on Redwood, money and piggy banks were stolen. Ransacked all bedrooms. Through both mother and daughter's underclothing, and left open a point of escape placing the screen on the bed. One earring from multiple sets was stolen. The third on West Cambridge. Took money and piggy bank. The ransacker hit all rooms, throwing mother and daughter's underclothing. The daughter went to Mount Whitney. The ransacker hit three times on Sunday, May 26, 1974. The first on South Seoul. He didn't steal anything there, but he ransacked all bedrooms and left a point of escape. Next, he hit West Howard. He took money from a small bank. He attempted to pry a door and a window, but was unsuccessful. He left a point of escape. He put the window screen on a bed and ransacked all of the bedrooms. He then moved to West Cambridge. He took money. He left a Playboy magazine open on a bed. He pried on doors and left windows open for points of escape. He ransacked all bedrooms, and there was evidence that he'd put lotion on his hands. The family attended First Baptist Church. On Saturday evening, June 23, 1974, South Conyers Street, the ransacker struck all bedrooms and threw female underclothing around, left open a point of escape, ransacked jewelry. The next hit occurred on Princeton Street, sometime between September 10th and September 14th, as residents were out of town. The ransacker struck all bedrooms, throwing female underclothing around, took one earring from the set. On Friday, October 4th, 1974, on South Grant, the ransacker stole a 22 caliber revolver, three boxes of 22 ammo, and one and a half boxes of 12 gauge ammo. He took money and ransacked all of the bedrooms. No female clothing in the house and no jewelry. He left a point of escape. There were three attacks on Saturday, October 19, 1974, the first on West Cambridge. He took money and ransacked all of the rooms, scattered clothing, broke a piggy bank. He removed the window screen and left a point of escape. He left money in plain view and then took a second piggy bank. Also on West Cambridge, resident reported nothing stolen, 
but all rooms were ransacked, clothing was scattered round, and several points of escape were left open. A window screen was removed. On South Oak Park, he took money and ransacked all of the rooms, scattered clothing, and left a point of escape. He saw a thirty-eight revolver, but did not steal it. There are a few things to note in these reports. When they refer to the ransacker leaving open points of escape, they mean something very specific. In addition to leaving open the door or window at his point of entry, he went to the opposite end of the house and opened one or more points of escape. These were usually sliding glass doors or windows, which were unlocked and opened from the inside. Instead of just pushing out the window screens onto the ground below, he carefully removed them and placed them in the bedrooms of the house, sometimes on the bed. Probably the most unique signature of the ransacker was his use of dishes or other objects as alarm systems. Homeowners returned to find dishes or bottles balanced on their doorknobs or stacked in front of the doors. This was intended to alert the ransacker so he had time to use one of his pre-opened escape routes if someone came home. He also used the chain locks on doors or wedged a chair under the doorknob to give himself more time to escape. Similarly, he would open or close drapes to hide himself from the street or enable him to see returning residents before they reached the house. When VPD referred to throwing female clothing, it generally meant underclothes and nightgowns. While he might have rummaged through a man's drawer or dumped it on the floor, he would lay out specific women's items on beds, pillows, or in a trail. Women's jewelry boxes would be dumped out, often in strange places. He favored taking one earring from a pair, often several from the same victim, and one cuffling from a pair. He would leave valuable jewelry and large bills of cash, but empty piggy banks and penny jars. He also targeted collectible and foreign coins. The houses hit were single-family, ranch-style homes, and he preferred cul-de-sacs and corner houses. VPD was able to follow his tracks on multiple occasions and could see he used Evans Ditch to the south and a fenced-in ditch planting area that ran along the freeway to the north. Only the east of Mooney Boulevard portion of this northern route can be seen on current maps. The area to the west of Mooney was lost to freeway on off-ramps and sound walls. He had established routes that cut through certain yards, and a six-foot fence was no impediment. On Wednesday, October 23, 1974, there were two attacks. The first on South Giddings. There he stole the 32 caliber revolver and two inexpensive cameras. He ransacked the bedrooms and scattered clothing. Next, on Oak Park, he took money and piggy banks. He removed the window screen and ransacked the bedrooms. On Friday, November 1, 1974, he struck five times. On Vassar, he took money. He left a warning item inside the front door, ransacked the bedrooms, and threw the female underclothing. On South Giddings, he took money from a small piggy bank ransacked all the rooms, and then threw all of the daughter's underclothing. He left a point of escape. The daughter went to Mount Whitney and was a yell leader. On West Cambridge, he took money, ransacked the bedrooms, and threw women's underclothing, left a point of escape, and again removed the window screen. On Vassar, he took money from the piggy banks, ransacked all the bedrooms, threw clothing, and left a point of escape. On West Paradise, 
He took money and a piggy bank, again removed the window screen. He threw only the female underclothing and ransacked all the bedrooms. He took one earring from a pair. The ransacker struck four times on Saturday, November 2nd, 1974. The first on South Mountain. He took money and blue chip stamps, left a point of escape. He ransacked the kitchen and all the bedrooms, and he dumped the jewelry boxes out. The second was also on South Mountain. We have fewer details on that one. All we know, it was a ransacking, but nothing was stolen. On West Laurel, he again ransacked the kitchen and also hit all of the bedrooms. He stole four tubes of glue and some cash. He threw female underclothing and left a warning item inside the front door. He took one earring from a pair and he threw photos of the children. On South Whitney, he took money and blue chip stamps. He also stole six brand new t-shirts. He ransacked all of the bedrooms. This is report of Agent Shipley, October 20, 1975. Report taken October 16, 1975. This agent contacted resident Campus Drive, Visalia. He stated that he and his housekeeper live at the residence. On Saturday, November 2nd, 1974, his residence was broken into while he was away. The suspect entered his backyard by climbing over a six-foot redwood fence. He stated he found two sets of foot tracks, tennis shoes, no further description, leading from the fence to his residence. He stated that suspect climbed over the fence at the southwest corner of his backyard. He stated the tracks were similar in size and design and possibly the suspect had crossed the fence and yard on two different occasions on the same date. The suspect gained entry into the residence by prying the bedroom window located at the southeast corner of the residence. Resident stated he found four other windows that had been opened while inside the residence. The entire residence had been ransacked, but nothing taken. He had no blue chip stamps, and the housekeeper's underclothing had been gone through, but not scattered about. Resident advised that nothing was placed against the front or back door as alarm device. Burglary occurred on the same date as the one across the street. Resident did not report the burglary at the time due to nothing being taken. Friday, November 15, 1974, was a big football night in Visalia. It was the Mount Whitney versus Redwood Cowhide game. The game was being played at Mineral King Bowl behind Redwood High. Jennifer R. Moore, a 15-year-old sophomore at Mount Whitney, arrived home from school with a friend that Friday. The girls planned to walk up to Kmart to meet their other girlfriends for a ride to the game. Jennifer called her mom at work and got permission, but her friend's parents said no and made arrangements to pick up their daughter at Jennifer's house. It's unclear if Jennifer's mom knew she would be making the walk to Kmart alone, but Jennifer set out from her house at 7 o'clock. Sunset was at about 4.50, so it was fully dark. The walk to Kmart was about 2 miles, and her friends were expecting her at 7.30, so she would have needed a good pace at 4 miles an hour to make it on time. Jennifer was last seen walking near South Demery Street and West College Ave, almost to Kmart. Her friends waited for her until 7.45 and then headed to the game. Jennifer had disappeared somewhere in those last few blocks. If you look at our VR interactive map, 
you can see where Jennifer's last known location is in relation to the cluster of ransacking on Saturday, November 2nd, 1974. Jennifer was last seen about four blocks directly west of this spot less than two weeks later. It took Jennifer's mom until the next morning to piece together what had happened and to confirm she had not spent the night at a friend's house after the game. We desperately want the next part of this story to be about search parties, missing flyers, and newspaper pleas for information after a young girl vanished on a dark November night. But of course that never happened. Nothing happened. Other than her family, friends, and police, no one in Visalia knew she was missing. Jennifer was found by accident more than a week later on Sunday, November 24, 1974, in the Friant Kern Canal. An Orange Grove worker found her at the edge of a grove north of Exeter, off-road 204. You can see this exact location on both the interactive maps on our website, 122675.com. Just click the links on episode 8. She was nude, with her hands tied together with her bra. Her blouse was found on the canal bank near her body. Her pants, underwear, shoes, jacket, and distinctive necklace were missing and never found. For those of you who've been listening since episode 1, this should be sounding terribly familiar. Yes, another young, blonde high school girl was found murdered at the edge of an orange grove, one and a half miles exactly north of Donna, just a year earlier. And yes, Captain Ferris of the TCSO was in charge of Jennifer's case, too. This is an article from the Visalia Times Delta, November 25, 1974. Visalia Girl's Body Found The nude body of a 14-year-old Visalia girl, missing since November 15th, was found floating Sunday afternoon in the Friant Kern Canal near Woodlake. Sheriff's officers said foul play is a possibility in the death of Jennifer L. Armour. Mrs. Armour told officers the girl, a Mount Whitney sophomore, was last seen as she left home to attend the Redwood Whitney game. She was to meet a girlfriend but did not arrive to meet her. Under Sheriff Max Foster said there were no outward signs of injury to the victim. An autopsy has been scheduled to determine the cause of death. This is from the Visalia Times Delta, November 26, 1974. County deputies continue probe into girl's death. The sheriff's office said its investigation is continuing into the death of a Visalia girl whose body was found Sunday in the Friant Kern Canal near Woodlake. Officials said the tentative cause of death for Jennifer Lynn Armour, 15, has been listed as drowning. Her nude body was discovered by a rancher. Sheriff Bob Wiley said today the case is being investigated as though it were a homicide, although at this point there is no reason to believe the girl may have been murdered. Divers this morning were checking the icy waters near where the body was discovered. Monday, deputies walked the canal banks in an effort to find possible clues. Miss O'Moore had been missing since she left home November 15th en route to the Redwood-Mount Whitney football game. According to friends, she did not attend the game. Her mother, Barbara O'Moore, reported her missing the following day. Tuesday, November 26, 1974. Death notices in the Visalia Times Delta. Services will be held Friday for Jennifer Lynn Armour, 15, of Visalia, who was found Sunday in the Frank Kern Canal between Exeter and Woodlake. Ms. Armour had lived in Visalia since 1973. She was a sophomore at Mount Whitney High School. She had been missing since leaving for a school football game about 10 days ago. Services will be held Friday at 10 a.m. in Miller Memorial Chapel, Burial will be in Visalia Cemetery.
He hit twice on Friday, November 29, 1974. Starting on Princeton, he took money from a piggy bank and two boxes of twenty-two ammunition. He ransacked all of the rooms and scattered clothing. He left a point of escape. On West Tulare, he took money from a piggy bank, one earring from a pair, a bra, and two photos of children. He ransacked all the bedrooms, threw the female underclothing, and removed the window screen. The night of Saturday, November 30th, 1974, can only be described as a ransacking spree. The ransacker hit 12 times that night. He started on West Meadow Lane, took money, removed the window screen, ransacked all the bedrooms, and placed an item inside the front door as a warning. He hit another house on West Meadow Lane, again taking money and ransacking all of the rooms. He threw the mother and daughter's underclothing and tore up a photograph of their son. The daughter went to Mount Whitney, and she was in band. He left open multiple points of escape. On South Encina, he ransacked all of the rooms, took money and a piggy bank, and dumped out all of the jewelry boxes, removed the window screen, and left an item inside the back door to warn him if people came home. On West Paradise, he again threw the female underclothing after ransacking every room. He left open a point of escape, but didn't steal anything. Again on West Paradise, he took money and two rings after ransacking all of the rooms. He took one earring from a pair, throwing all the female underclothing, and left open a point of escape. Third house on West Paradise, again ransacked. He hit the kitchen again, took money. There were no female jewelry or underclothing in the house, but he did leave open a point of escape. He next hit both units of a duplex on West Myrtle. Nothing was taken from either unit. In the first, he removed the window screen and left it prominently on the bed. He ransacked the bedroom and the den. The house contained no female jewelry or underclothing, but he did leave open a point of escape. In the second unit, he ransacked all of the rooms. He moved on to South Seoul, took money, ransacked all of the bedrooms, threw around the female underclothing. At West Cambridge, he took money. He had tried to pry open a door, but was unsuccessful. He ransacked all the rooms and threw around the clothing. He left open a point of escape. On West Korea, he took 20-gauge shotgun shells and a box of 22 ammunition. He ransacked all of the rooms and threw the female underclothing, left open a point of escape. Still on West Korea, ransacked all of the bedrooms, removed the window screen, leaving open points of escape, and he took money. On Monday, December 2nd, 1974, the Visalia Times Delta ran a small article titled Visalia Police Probe 15 Thefts in Same Area. The losses were basically in cash and small items, leading officers to speculate that the burglaries may have been the work of children. In late 1975, when VPD decided to analyze the ransackings to look for patterns, they made the decision to ignore the 1974 cases due to them having no pattern. Of course, there was a pattern, but you would have to catch the offender to fully understand it. 
His schedule of availability to Prowl and accessibility of target choices is something we can't see from the outside. What is obvious is that there is a huge spike in activity immediately before Jennifer disappeared and on the weekend of her funeral services. We've always assumed that the ransacker faithfully followed the news of his exploits, and that was a belief that VPD developed as well. We knew that many of the early reports of Jennifer's death had referred to it as a possible drowning accident, and so we went back to see exactly what the newspapers might have told him along the way. One thing we noticed was that there was almost no newspaper coverage of the ransackings in 1974. Apparently, the seriousness of break-ins was only gauged by the dollar value stolen, not the creepiness factor or the unusual use of warning systems and escape routes. Jennifer's case was equally lacking. There were no newspaper reports of her disappearance, and, as we thought, the first statement from TCSO specifically stated, quote, there is no reason to believe the girl may have been murdered and implied an accidental drowning. We don't know what effect this would have had on Jennifer's killer, would he celebrate because he got away with murder, the perfect crime? Or would he be angry that the police missed his work and feel slighted in some way? In any case, the VR had his most active weekend of the entire series starting the day of Jennifer's memorial service and burial. Using both VPD reports and newspaper accounts, we've confirmed information on a total of 18 ransackings Friday, November 29th and Saturday, November 30th, 1974. We considered the fact that it was also Thanksgiving weekend, and maybe he was hitting houses that were empty for the weekend. However, we could not find even one confirmed case where the residents were out of town, and the report details make it clear that most were discovered when the victims returned home for the evening after being gone from one to five hours. The ransacker struck four times on Saturday, December 14, 1974. On West Vassar, he took money from a piggy bank, removed the window screen and left it in the bedroom, and ransacked bedrooms, scattering the clothing. On University, was much the same. Took money, removed the screen, ransacked the bedrooms, and threw female underclothing. There, he left open a point of escape. There were two on West Cambridge. The first, he removed the screen and ransacked the bedrooms, scattered clothing, dumped the jewelry boxes, and emptied the piggy banks. He left open a point of escape. In the second on Cambridge, he took money, ransacked the bedrooms, and threw clothing just in the daughter's room. On Monday, December 16, 1974, he hit on Seeger. He removed the window screen and ransacked all the bedrooms, left a point of escape, threw the female underclothing, and took some money. He struck five times on Saturday, December 21, 1974. Starting on West Myrtle, he cut a window screen and gained entry through an unlocked window. $42.50 worth items were stolen, including liquor and $8 in coins. He struck next on West Meadow Lane. He took blue chip stamps and one each from four different pairs of earrings. He stole money from a piggy bank, ransacked the bedrooms, and threw female underclothing. Next was West Iris. He pried open a window from inside to leave a point of escape. He ransacked the bedrooms, threw female underclothing, and took money from a piggy bank. He threw photos of the children around the house. On South Fairway, he took more blue chip stamps. He ransacked the bedrooms, threw female underclothing, 
and again threw around photos of the family. He removed the window screen and left open points of escape. On West College, he ransacked all of the rooms, and he left an item inside the front door as a warning if anyone came home. He left open points of escape and removed the window screen. He took a small amount of cash. On Sunday, December 22, 1974, he hit four times. He started on Laurel. He took money and some new t-shirts, pajamas, and some rings. He ransacked all the bedrooms. On Terry Lane, he ransacked the jewelry, leaving money out in plain view. He took coins and a piggy bank and ransacked all of the bedrooms. On South Divisadero, he took rings and one earring each from two pair. He also took money and left an item on the inside of the front door as a warning. He ransacked all of the rooms and threw female underclothing. A window screen was pushed out from the inside, leaving open a point of escape. The last was on Fairview. He ransacked all of the rooms and dumped out the clothing, left open a point of escape. He took a small amount of money and another piggy bank. Stealing piggy banks gets lots of laughs and derision from both armchair detectives and outside law enforcement looking at the BR. It sounds so minor and childlike. In fact, it's indicative of the actual targets and the motive of the ransacker. The banks were stolen from kids' rooms, often Mount Whitney students. Back in the 70s, this would have been the kids' savings and spending money. This was earned from household chores, mowing neighbors' lawns, and picking up bottles for the nickel return. The banks were often special gifts from parents or grandparents and were fixtures in the bedroom, one of their most valued possessions. The students were also targeted in the ransacker's photo theft and destruction. Photos were ripped up, broken in the frames, scattered around, turned down on their faces, and with certain girls from Mount Whitney, taken. Many of these same girls were targeted in other ways. Their bedrooms were often the main focus of the ransackings, with their bras, underwear, and nightgowns displayed on their beds. Imagine coming home and finding your bra cut up and laid out on your pillow. Similarly, he often took just one earring from a pair, ruining anywhere from one to 16 pairs from a single victim. Again, this is something that's often dismissed as silly or just taking a keepsake from the crime. However, destroying the pair and leaving a permanent reminder that an intruder has gone through something as personal as her jewelry was meant to terrorize and cause pain. On Saturday, January 25th, 1975, there are two ransacking attacks. The first on Verde Vista, Agent Shipley, in a report of October 20th, 1975, reporting party stated that their residence had been broken into on January 25th, 1975. The suspect entered the residence by way of the bedroom window located in the west wall of the bedroom, located in the northeast portion of the residence. Burglary resembled those committed by the ransacked burglar. Reporting party further stated approximately one year prior, at about 8 p.m., he looked out his front window and observed a subject standing in his carport. Reporting party ran out the front door and the subject ran out of the carport southbound down Verde Vista. 
The second event on the 25th on Pecan Street. Ransacker entered, took money, ransacked the bedrooms, threw female underclothing. There were three ransackings on Sunday, February 2nd, 1975. The first on South Whitney. The ransacker removed the window screen and put it by the back gate. He attempted to pry a door unsuccessfully. He ransacked all rooms, threw female underclothing, and found a bottle of hand lotion in the residence with an unknown owner. On October 17, 1975, Sergeant Vaughn was able to obtain additional information about that ransacking. It is also noted that in burglary number 60453, a woman's purse was taken along with 20 books of blue chip stamps and a box of 22 caliber shells. Also in this report is mentioned that a bottle of Jurgens hand lotion was found in the residence, which did not belong to the victim. It is unknown at this time if the lotion was seized as evidence. The next hit was also on South Whitney. All rooms were ransacked, the window screen was removed, and a point of escape left open. There was no female clothing or jewelry in the house. On gist, he took some money and attempted to pry the door unsuccessfully. There was very little ransacking, but it was thought that the owner may have scared the suspect off. There was no female underclothing or jewelry in the residence. On February 5, 1975, Claude Snelling encountered a prowler at his home on South Whitney. As he pulled into his driveway, he observed a subject crouching below a rear window in his residence that belonged to his daughter's bedroom. He chased this subject around his house, but lost him in the darkness. He described the subject as a white male, 5'10 to 6 foot, collar-length hair, wearing a dark plaid long-sleeved shirt. Agent Arnold, in his report, stated that he checked the area under the window and found shoe prints which matched those found at the scene of numerous ransacked burglaries in the area. There were three attacks on Sunday, February 16, 1975, the first on Meadow Lane. He took money and ransacked the bedrooms. He threw the daughter's underclothing and placed an item inside the front door as a warning. He left multiple points of escape. Next, on South Seoul, he took money and one earring from a pair. He made several unsuccessful attempts to pry doors and left multiple points of escape open. He ransacked all of the bedrooms and threw female underclothing. The daughter went to Mount Whitney. On West Kawea, he took money and made several attempts to pry windows. He ransacked the bedrooms and threw female underclothing. He threw and broke picture frames containing the son and daughter's wedding photos. On Saturday, March 1st, 1975, he struck on West Howard. He took money and some rings. He also took an H&R revolver that was not fireable. He ransacked all the bedrooms and left multiple points of escape. He threw clothing and left all of the valuable jewelry behind. On Saturday, May 24, 1975, he struck four times. Two of them were on Mountain. The first, he took a Taurus 38 revolver and attempted to pry two doors unsuccessfully. All rooms were ransacked. 
The house had no blue chip stamps, female clothing, or jewelry. In the second on mountain, he took money, ransacked all of the rooms, and threw female underclothing. He left one point of escape. Next, on West Kawea, he took money and placed an item inside the door for warning. He ransacked all rooms, threw female underclothing. On Redwood, he took blue chip stamps and left one point of escape. He removed the screens and opened windows from inside the house. He ransacked all rooms and threw female underclothing. On Saturday, May 31st, 1975, he hit on South Seoul again. He took money from a piggy bank and 16 rings. He ransacked all of the bedrooms and the kitchen. He threw clothing and poured orange juice all over it. There were two reported attacks on Friday, July 25th, 1975. One on campus. He took money and stamps and a credit card. He removed the window screen and left a point of escape, ransacked the bedrooms. He hit again on Fairview. He took money and 20-gauge shotgun shells. He also took one ring. He ransacked the bedrooms and threw female underclothing, left a point of escape. On Friday, August 1st, 1975, he struck again on campus. He took money and blue-chip stamps, and he took one earring from each of two pair. He ransacked all of the rooms. He threw female underclothing and spread women's lingerie down the hallway. He left a point of escape and emptied all of the piggy banks. He removed a window screen and left it in the bedroom. On Saturday, August 23, 1975, he hit three houses, starting on West Howard. The neighbor's dog barked at 22.30 hours. He took money and blue-chip stamps and a photo of their daughter. He also stole a gold locket the size of a half dollar, which opened up and contained a photo of a baby. He removed a window screen and left a point of escape. He ransacked all rooms of the house. He threw female underclothing and spread lingerie on the kitchen floor. The victim was the minister at the First Baptist Church, and the daughter went to Mount Whitney. On October 2, 1975, Agent McGowan did a supplemental report. Victim has since noticed she's now missing a gold locket on a chain, which had engraving on the front and had a picture of her granddaughter inside of said locket. Also, she discovered a Sunday school pin that had been laying on the piano. It had been taken to the hearth of the fireplace to a position just under the point where the pictures of her daughters were removed, and said Sunday school button stated on same, Sunday school, First Baptist Church, and that the responsible party, by unknown means, smashed said Sunday school button and left same lying on the previously mentioned hearth. She stated that this was not mentioned in the original report. However, these things took place during the original reported burglary. She also stated that she found a jar of cherries in the neighbor's yard to the immediate west of her residence, and that this item came out of her kitchen cupboards. She does not recall what happened to the jar of cherries. At the next house on West Howard, he took money from the piggy banks and attempted to pry a door unsuccessfully. He removed the screen and ransacked all rooms and jewelry boxes. He left a point of escape. He threw all female underclothing. On West Feimster, he took money, a ring, and blue chip stamps. He attempted to pry several doors unsuccessfully. 
and left open a point of escape. He again ransacked all rooms and went through all of the jewelry. He threw female underclothing and left money in plain view. He moved some twenty-two ammo, leaving it carefully placed on one of the beds. There were two break-ins on Sunday, August 24, 1975. On Princeton, he took money from a piggy bank, ransacked all rooms and scattered clothing, left a point of escape. On West Cambridge, he took money from a piggy bank, pried open a door from inside to leave a point of escape, and ransacked all rooms. He hit on Dartmouth on Friday, August 29, 1975. He took money and rings, and he took one earring from nine different pair. He attempted to pry windows unsuccessfully. He ransacked the bedrooms and the jewelry boxes and left a point of escape. He threw female underclothing of the two daughters who went to Mount Whitney. One of the daughters was a song leader. On Saturday, August 30th, 1975, he struck again on Redwood. He took a two-cell flashlight. It was later recovered at another home on Redwood. The house had no blue-chip stamps, but all of the bedrooms were ransacked. He threw just the daughter's clothing and removed one picture out of a photo album. All of the jewelry in the house was ransacked, and he left multiple points of escape. The family attended First Baptist Church, and the daughter went to Mount Whitney. On Sunday, August 31, 1975, he hit one house on Royal Oaks. He took a 38 Moroku revolver, three boxes of 12-gauge shells, a necklace, and one silver dollar. He removed the window screen to leave a point of escape. He ransacked all bedrooms and all jewelry boxes. Female underclothing was thrown around, and he laid out men's shorts in a line down the hallway. That is the end of The Quiet Ransacker, ignored by the media and dismissed by the police as a nuisance. In his next attack, the ransacker used the stolen Maruku revolver to kill Claude Snelling as he tried to stop the ransacker from kidnapping his daughter from her bedroom. Suddenly, the true nature of the ransacker was clear to VPD.